And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. On Thursday, a good chunk of Boston lost power. And a few days prior, a powerhouse in the NHL based in Chicago turned out the lights on their 2010 dynasty with announcement that many hockey fans dread. No, the Boston Bruins are not rebuilding, but the Chicago Blackhawks certainly are. Not the best kept secret in the league. Only a matter of time if you look at their cap situation, if you look at their team record. What we don't know is what's going to happen next. How far will this rebuild go? How long could this rebuild take? Will the core be around to see it through? Is it better that they don't? And when it comes to making these tough decisions, is Stan Bowman the right man for the job? Episode 242 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Again, Brett, um, something that a lot of NHL fan bases go through at some point in their lifetime, your team is rebuilding. And for the longest time, hadn't happened to the Chicago Blackhawks, but now it finally has. Yeah, it's kind of strange, too, because... Technically, they kind of have already been doing that already. Uh, so it was kind of like a strange choice to uh, do that. But, um, I mean, or to, like, announce it, kind of like what the Rangers did a couple of years ago. Um, so, like, and, but, I mean, I guess it's, it's I, I do appreciate when teams are upfront about this type of stuff. So it's, it's kind of a nice... Um, thing to do I guess but like at the same time it's like where where has the Blackhawks been we knew that they were rebuilding (laughs) so yeah yeah I think with the with the Rangers it was kind of different because it was like in the middle of trading away their veteran players were just like okay yeah this is the deal this is what we're doing um just have faith in us Right. In a couple in a couple of years, we'll be on the up and up. And you know what? It's worked. Right. Uh, the Rangers rebuild is probably looking like the best rebuild or the fastest rebuild, certainly in NHL history, yep. because they have been able to get Capo Caco with the second overall pick in 2019. They lucked out on the Lafreniere sweepstakes. They drafted him first overall. They've drafted a lot of. Other good uh, talents like Brett Howden and Philip Keel, yep. um, Braden Schneider, who they also got. Uh, you also have guys like Mika Zibanejad still uh, in the system. They um, decided to keep around Chris Kreider. But in between that, they traded away names like Matt Zuccarello, Kevin Hayes, JT yep. Miller, Ryan McDonough. Um, since then, Mark Stahl was traded to the Red Wings. Since then... King Henrik has been right, bought right. out. And part of the reason why that tough decision to buy out King Henrik was made, they had two young NHL goalies with promise that have shown to everyone they can be solid NHL goalies. Hasn't happened to the Blackhawks yet, not even close to that. Yep. And they have cap space. They have cap space, which is why they were able to sign Jacob Truba, which is why they were able to sign Artemi Panarin. That's something the Hawks haven't had since they won the Stanley Cup in 2010. Yeah, that was 10 years ago. We're gonna so talk. It's it's, yeah. it's really tough to evaluate how the Blackhawks uh, go from here because there's a lot of problems they have to address. 
We're going to talk about the Rangers in a bit, but yes, um, and and to answer that question in a bit, if, if this is going to be like the Rangers, but um, yeah, that that is so. It's you you did a good preview of what we're about to talk about, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, it, it should be interesting. So um, as we've mentioned, the the Blackhawks have made it official, quote unquote. Uh, that they are going to be rebuilding, and they did it by sending a uh, Twitter message, and uh, they just had a letter to the Blackhawks fans. I'll just read the first uh, two paragraphs here, and then we can uh, get going. So uh, we recently said goodbye to a pa- oh sorry a message to Blackhawk fans. We recently said goodbye to a pair of popular two-time champions and acquired some new players via trade and free agency. We understand it was tough to see those respected veterans go and realize you may have some questions about our direction. We'd like to address that direction and share why we're hopeful for the future of the Blackhawks hockey. Um, We're committed to developing young players and rebuilding our roster. We want more than another window to win. We want to reach the summit again and stay there. An effort that will require a stockpile of emerging talent to complement our top players. The influx of Youth and their progression will provide roster flexibility and depth throughout our lineup. Um, so then it goes on and on, but I, I, just, I just figured I wanted to talk about the first, um, the first two paragraphs there. Um, mm-hmm. and so it also it also mentioned that they were young. They were the youngest team in the twenty twenty yeah. playoffs to add to the warning yeah. signs of wait, are they rebuilding? Yeah, I mean, when you have the youngest team in the twenty twenty playoffs, that's probably a good sign that. You're not where you were 10 years ago. Yeah, so um, so the the thing with this Blackhawks thing is, is like, as I mentioned, it's not necessarily like we kind of knew that they were they were in a rebuild already. Um, mm-hmm. They, like, last year, with minus the bubble stuff, they drafted third um, in, and got Kirby Doc. Um, I think that would have been, the, I think they finished third last in the, league last year too i forget if i guess i don't know if they like won the lottery or not but anyways well, they, they were um, bad enough they, to I win did, the lottery i think they moved up a few spots cuz they they did um they did win a lottery when okay. they when they picked uh, third overall like okay. they were outside know. looking in but yeah. they weren't terrible but they would have had like a top 10 pick last year i guess yeah they they would yeah. have been like top 10 top 15 pick that's yeah, probably yeah. where they would have been yeah yeah um, and then same for Adam Vokvist when they drafted him eighth overall the year before that. Um, they also, you know, uh, they had two picks in that uh, draft as well, which is also another sign of a rebuild uh, where they select uh, Nicholas Bodine later on in that uh, first round there as well. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, this has kind of been like, um, like, the thing, like, we kind of figured it's not a huge surprise um, with with what they've been, um, like, considering if you've watched this team play for the last three years or so. Um, and it's a little different. I'm, it's hard to count in this 2020 draft just because of, like, if they ended the regular season normally, they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs, but we don't know what place mm-hmm. they would have been in, so I'm not really counting that. Um, so, and a lot of people didn't yeah. expect 
them to beat Edmonton or sure. even contend against Vegas in the yeah. playoffs. Which brings to the point is that they're kind of in actually a good start, uh, you know, in good shape. Um, yeah, if, better than most. I yeah, would better say. than yeah. most. They better got than most rebuilding teams. Yeah, yeah, they got. Um, they have Kirby Doc, who's like you know, I think a lot of people were critical of that uh, draft or that pick when it happened because you you know, Bo and Byron was available. There was you know, Turcotte was also there. Uh, Zegris and Cousins were also there too where if you're going with centers maybe Doc isn't the best one but like you know Kirby Doc was the only one of the four of them to actually play in the NHL that year and it looks like he's he's going to be a, a stud you know he's going to be a pretty good player um, it was a yeah, slow like, start yeah Stan, Stan Bowman was talking in his um, in, in one of um, the media briefings um, yeah. like he was on a couple of podcasts the Laz and Powers Yep. Um, if if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. There's a lot of, even if you don't believe him, you know, he's pretty insightful and gives us an inside look as to the thinking process behind a lot of the stuff yep. that the Blackhawks have done in the past 12 months. So kudos to Stan Bowman for doing that. He said there were times where Kirby Doc logged the most minutes out of the Blackhawks forwards, like into the second half, like in the playoffs. Like he was really coming into his own, and he was getting better and better every game. Yep. So they they really liked what he did in his rookie season, and they're expecting more from him moving forward as well. Right. Uh, you also get Dominic Kubalik, who uh, um, finished the you know he he came in third in the Calder voting. Mm-hmm. Um, he also had like a was probably the best player on the Blackhawks team in the playoffs. Um, yeah. So, uh, and he was a big reason why they were able to beat the Oilers because he like he had like a four goal game at one point. So, uh, yeah, he's he's also going to be pretty good. Um, they drafted Adam Bockfist, who also played a bit this year. Um, he's you know he's still young and he's a defenseman. Um, he didn't have as great of a year as Doc or. Uh, the other uh, Kubali, but he's still like 13 points for in 41 games isn't too bad for a defenseman um, in his career. Uh, and then they also drafted Nicholas Boudin, who played a couple games here and there. Um, they also have Ian Mitchell, who we talked about in our uh, prospect preview. Um, and mm-hmm. They really, really yeah. like him. Like Stan Bowman thought he was ready to make the yeah. NHL this year. Yep, um, and they also drafted Lucas Reichel uh, this year, who I said I, re- I really love, um, and he might be an underrated pick um, for, uh, for in this draft, so that works out for them. Um, then they, um, and then also not to mention that they got um, Alex Nylander, Dylan Strome in a trade, um, who both have shown their potential. Um, and then, of course, you have um, Alex DeBrincat, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, and Jonathan Taze, um, who all, all, the last three, all have some value um, and some stuff left in the tank. And DeBrincat, he had 40 goals um, on a very bad Blackhawks team uh, last year. So um, so that's, uh, that's not too bad. Um, so they're in pretty good shape. Um, However, of course, they traded away Brandon Saad um, and got uh, Nikita Zadorov this offseason. They also traded Corey Crawford. Um, I think they got back like a draft pick or something. 
Um, uh, no, actually, he just uh, walked. They got nothing for Corey. Oh, I thought I thought that was a trade. You're, nope. Okay. No, nope. they traded Leonard and didn't get full value. That's but right. But Crawford, they walked. They, oh, they, they just they, they uh, just gave him out. an offer in free agency, but he wanted a longer term, and they felt they would be missing okay. on a on a younger goalie in a couple of years uh, if they committed um, that money to Corey. So yeah. um, they just parted and Corey. Resigned in New Jersey and they got nothing, which is yeah. worse than getting little for him in a trade. True. I mean, they do have. I I can understand that reasoning then, um, because like when you look at like a team like the, um, like if you look at teams like Florida, Montreal, uh, Calgary, even, um, like or let's take Florida for instance, you have. Sergey Bobrovsky for 10 years, but then you also draft Spencer Knight and he's also going to be pretty good. So like, uh, so then all of a sudden you have like these two goals, like, you, you know, once Spencer Knight is ready, even if it is in five years, you still have like five more years left of Bobrovsky's contract that you have to deal with at 10 million. So then, well, I, you know, I, I think you got the numbers mixed up cause it was, I think, a seven-year deal, but it was ten million. So either oh, way, yeah, yeah. they're getting hurt by that contract. Right, it right, would right. Be right. like two years, but still. even even still, like if if Spencer Knight is get this, if he's ready, like in three to four years, you still have Bobrovsky's massive cap hit, yeah. which is a lot for a team like Florida Digest. Either way, especially in the next couple of years with the cap being as tight as it is. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. I, yeah, and you're right. I did get that mixed up, so that's on me too. The Florida Panthers are lucky that yeah. ten-year contracts don't but, exist anymore. But even Thank still, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, even still, it, like it, it didn't make sense to give Bobrovsky a long-term deal and then draft Spencer Knight. But like, even still, it's like you know, it is good to have a guy with experience. Um, we, like Drew Camesso is the, uh, the goalie that they drafted this year. He could be good. Um, it looks like he, he could be good. He had a good year, but on the other hand, he also, you know, he's also like going to be in college, uh, for a couple of years and he's playing in BU. So he's not going to be ready right away. Um, and you, you kind of want, like, I know that they're rebuilding and all that stuff, but you, I, I think you would want like some goalies that have some experience in your, in your lineup. Like look at New Jersey this year. I mean, luckily Blackwood figured it out, but like that was a scary, that was like a tire fire um, early on when he wasn't figuring it out because then you're just, you know, not developing your players now and you don't have an experienced goalie in net because Corey Schneider was injured or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I, I get that. We'll, we'll talk about goalies in a second, but first, uh, thoughts on the rebuild, um, it's hard to ask if this is the right move because this is what they've been doing for a while. But um, what what are your thoughts on on this entire announcement? Well, if if you look at the Blackhawks' track record, they're four and twelve in their last sixteen playoff games, and they have not made it past the first round since twenty fifteen. They have failed to reach the playoffs altogether in 2017-18 and 2018-19. Had it not been for the 2014 format, uh, they would have not played a single postseason game for a third straight year. And if you look at 
the revolving door of Blackhawks players, not just players, but personnel as well. They bring in Calvin DeHaan. This is just last year. They bring in Calvin DeHaan, Oli Mata, and Robin Leonard. Yep. Leonard gets traded at the trade deadline for an underwhelming return. I think it could have been much better. Yep. Chicago trades Oli Mata for basically a guy that's been in the ECHL. They trade him just to get cap space. And they traded... I think they traded was it Dominic Cahoon to the Penguins in that uh, in that deal for Ole Mata. So they yeah. give Dominic Cahoon and they traded away the main piece of that deal for cap space. Like yeah. I don't, I wouldn't call that good asset management there. Um, so you don't get any on ice value for trading Ole Mata. Seabrook hasn't been the same player. His contract is looking uglier by the day. You look at Kane and Taves; they're still producing, but for how long? In two years. Debrinket and Kubalik will need new contracts, so they're kicking that program down the road for a couple more years, and they'll figure that out later. And they are at bargain prices for the time being, but that salary should increase because I fully expect both of those players to get better. Yep. Um, in the minors, like you mentioned, a lot of young players that are making serious auditions for NHL jobs in the near future, Kirby Doc already being part of the presence and getting better each and every single game. This team has continuously decreased in terms of team record, power play, penalty kill. If it wasn't for Corey Crawford in the playoffs and Robin Leonard in the regular season, their defense could be astronomically the worst this league has ever seen. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't good. And the goalies were doing everything they can to keep them above water and keep them competitive in a central division that by the way is still very good and probably isn't going to change. So you're probably spinning your tires in mediocrity. If you keep Robin Leonard, if you don't trade Ole Mata, if you keep Corey Crawford, you're just going to be a mediocre team that gets knocked out in the first round every year. Yeah. And as the Blackhawks illustrated in their statement to their fans, they want to get to the summit and stay there. They're not going to get to the summit if they're getting knocked out in the first round every year. Yeah. And the reality of the situation is the salary cap isn't going up. It's going to stay like it is the next couple of years. Even with the salary cap going up year by year, they have been chasing the salary cap since their first cup win. Again, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. So the question becomes, how much better are you going to be if you don't say, okay, it's time to rebuild? The reality is they're in mediocrity. And like, like even like I'll harken back to the sins. We'll talk about the sins later on, but when, before they hit their rebuild, they had to make a decision. Okay. Are we going to commit big dollars to Eric Carlson? Are we going to commit big dollars to Matt Duchesne? Are we going to commit big dollars to Mark Stone? Let's say they do that for all three. Let's say all three stay on board. They are going to be in the same position as the Hawks were, I think. They would be good, but they would be mediocre in a very tough division and probably getting knocked out every year in the first round. Yeah, I I think uh, mediocre is not the best... um... Is, is probably the worst thing you can be because um, mm-hmm. you're you're not good enough to be in the playoffs and win the cup, and you're not and bad you're not en- bad enough to suck. So yeah, they exactly. get better later. 
Exactly. So, um, so that's, that, that is a good point. And I think it makes sense to do this. And especially considering that, uh, like Patrick Kane and, and, uh, Jonathan Taze are, you know, towards the end of their career. Um, same with Duncan Keith and Brent, uh, Brent Seabrook. So it's like your core is already aging out already. Um, and so it, it does make sense to, you know, do this rebuild. And it's something that they've been doing for the last two years already, um, especially with all these different trades. Um, with, uh, they get Connor Murphy, they get Brandon Perlini, Dylan Strom, Malcolm Subban, Alex Nylander, and Nikita Zadorov. And, and like you mentioned, yeah, uh, Stan Bowman was like, uh, was being interviewed by, uh, um, I guess a Chicago Blackhawks speed reporter. I'm blanking on his name. Um, but, um, yeah, Mark Lazarus and yeah, Scott Mark Powers Lazarus. were, were the two guys interviewing him on the podcast. But, Again, if you haven't listened to it, yeah. go listen. It's a great, re- it's yeah. a, it's a great informative piece that you'll get, you'll gain a lot of knowledge from. Exactly. So, um, I, um, but like, I, I liked his answers here. Cause he said a lot of these guys who I just mentioned, are accomplished players. They have a lot of things going for them. Maybe something didn't click on the previous teams they played for. We need guys to take the next step. To me, part of the reason why players are first-rounders is they demonstrated something that separated themselves before they were traded, trying to tap into that and work on areas that need improvement, not shy from looking for guys that didn't have that pedigree either. So, like, I think that's an interesting concept, and it's something that I didn't even realize until I, like, saw it all written out here, is that they did get, like, Dylan Strom, um, Alex Nylander, Zadorov, uh, Connor Murphy, Perlini, Malcolm Subban. All of those guys were first-round picks. Um, and, you know, and for whatever reason, they just didn't get along with the team. Uh, but, like, that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have potential and, they could be something like, look at Dylan Strome. That's probably the perfect case here. Um, even though, like, you know, they trade Nick Schmaltz, who's another former first-round pick. But um, That's but, the yeah. other knock yeah. on Stan Bowman. Yeah, is well, that wait, wait, can I finish my that... point first? I'll, yeah. I'll, yeah. Um, I, um, like, Dylan Strome um, is a good example of this because like yeah he had a sort of a down year compared to what he had the last year but um in Arizona for whatever reason he just wasn't given a fair shake there and then when he goes to Chicago all of a sudden he gets on a line with Alex Dabrinkat and uh, their chemistry is very very good um and you know and then all of a sudden you have like a top two center in your lineup um, and, you know, Nick Schmaltz was injured that year, I think. And Nick Schmaltz has been pretty good, but, like, Dylan Strom has been, um, you know, like, has been a pivotal player for them now, um, even if it wasn't as good as it used to be. So I like that pick. And, you know, who knows with Connor Murphy and uh, Zadorov and stuff, but, um, you know, all, all these guys that I just mentioned, they all have, like, potential. And, and mm-hmm. that's what you're looking for when you're rebuilding. And, yes, I know that they traded away Yoki Yaru. I know they traded away Schmaltz. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm blanking on a bunch of other guys that they traded away um, who also all have high potential, too. But, like, other than, I guess, like, Nick Schmaltz, like, none of the other ones have been pretty, like like, you know, like, 
that they regret trading away so far at least um so so i think it's um it's worked out for them um just in that regard and it, it could it could be a good strategy for for upcoming teams in the future mm-hmm. yeah the, the the one knock that i that i had on stan bowen to your point is the yeah he traded for a bunch of former first round picks but look at the amount of first round picks that he drafted then traded yeah but you look at pittsburgh they trade their first round picks before they draft them. Stan yeah. Bowman, at least the track record is he keeps the first round pick, drafts a player with that first round pick, and then later trades them. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that's not really a good recipe I mean, to, to to keep the team in contention. Yeah, but like I I don't know I disagree with that too because I I think if you're like he mentioned like well first off like he wants a team that has um, a pedigree and like he wants a team that's going to win or be a contender for years to come yeah. and not like a, you know, and so like if you suck now, that's fine. Um, but like, you know, Nick, like, Yo- like let's take the Yoki Yaru and uh, Alex Nylander trade, for instance. Um, Alex Nylander went in the top 10 that year, and he was pretty good yep. uh, his draft year. Uh, Yokiaru was similar thing. Um, he was even he was even better than Nylander was after that. But like Yokiaru was drafted, I think thirtieth overall or something like that. And he was 29th or thirtieth yeah. around that. Yeah, something like that. He was towards the end of the first round. But but then you know, so you trade spots basically. <laughs> You're taking <laughs> you know, like Yokiaru could still be a good player, but. Um, but like you know, you also have like Nylander, and you you know who's also has even more higher potential than than Yokiaru does have, and especially when you trade to Buffalo, where they already have like Rasmus Dahlin and uh, Ristolainen there too. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. so so like I, I like I see what you're saying. It's like you don't want to trade a bunch of your first round assets and. A lot of the guys that they did trade away were first round picks, but at the same time, I feel like it's not like a terrible idea to do what they did. Uh, oh, yeah, tra- and and, oh, and like okay. you, you look at the amount of other talent that yeah. they traded away. Like Kane and Taves were not happy that Saad got traded to Columbus. Yep. They were still not happy when he got traded to Colorado. And when they got him back, they give up Artemi Panarin, who yep. they probably couldn't afford back then or today because Artemi Panarin is an all-star every single year and, yep. like, one of the best players in the league, top 20 player in the league. But they also traded Tivo Teravain into Carolina, and he's become a solid top six forward for the Hurricanes yep. in, in recent years, all because of the salary cap. Like, these, these guys if it wasn't a salary cap league would probably still be on Chicago right now. Yep. And, and Aaron said at the time when he was traded to Columbus, it, it took him by surprise because he really liked it in Chicago. Yep. He thought he was going to be in Chicago his entire career. Yep. And there was, there was nothing wrong about the situation there. It was, it was a, it was a team decision to get more character. And, and that's why they brought back Brandon side. Yep. Because at the time they felt that's what they needed. They needed more character, more grit, and and less skill. And and Panarin ended up being the disposable yeah, um, factor in the equation. 
But again, it all goes back to the salary cap where Stan Bowman is doing his best to keep the Hawks competitive. But at some point, you get to the point of no return where nothing you're doing is working. Yep. Um, I also would like to make a correction here. Um, We're doing a correction in the middle of this episode. So I was looking at the draft picks because I, I was clear I was curious about who they may have traded away because as you mentioned, uh, so Tavo Teravainen they traded away, um, yep. and they also traded away Philip Deneau, um, right as well. So those were two, um, and both were uh, drafted in the first round, and both um, were traded away for almost nothing. Uh, so uh, yeah, so th- they, those they, were two they guys could probably, probably use a defensive minded guy yeah. like Philip Deneau right now. Yeah, or Tara Vinan. He would be uh, nuts on that, on uh, like a Taze mm-hmm. yeah. line or something. Um, yeah, uh, so, so yeah, okay, I take that back. Um, <laughs> anyways, let's go to these next things here. Uh, so speaking of which, PK, uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze and Duncan Keith, um, uh, reportedly, um, as I think we've mentioned a couple of episodes ago, uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze expressed displeasure with uh, Stan Bowman um, about like what they're doing, and they they wanted to you know they liked Corey Crawford, they liked Brandon Sod, so they wanted to keep them around. But um, I guess they just they didn't get the up and up on what on re- on the rebuilding stuff. So so that's why they. Um, Maybe that's wh- why the Blackhawks felt like they had to express it publicly. Because if Taze and Kane are um, unhappy, you know, maybe uh, the fans don't understand it either. So, um, so maybe that's why. Um, but anyways, uh, they say um, in this interview that they were asked if um, they were asked if. Uh, they were thinking of trading away Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taze because of this rebuild stuff, and they said or that they, asking or asking them to waive their no yeah, move clause to waive their no move clause. Yeah, and they said, um, and Bowman said that they're not going to do it. Um, however, this is more apt to the Mark Bergerman stuff, but like just because they're saying that now doesn't mean that they're thinking about it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think this is going to happen or like maybe it's not going to happen this off season, but do you think it's eventually going to happen? So Jonathan Taves is the guy that I hope sticks around throughout all this because he has the leadership capabilities that are perfect for this rebuild. Like for the Ottawa senators, I was really, really, really upset when they trade away Mark stone because he is the guy out of all of the three names Carlson, Duchesne, and Stone. Out of all three names, he's the guy that is a future captain, is the heart and soul guy of the team, is a guy that just keeps fighting every single shift up until the whistle, never stops playing, always working hard, and a guy that the young players can really learn a lot from. So those type of leadership capabilities, not so much as offense, but leadership capabilities is why I keep Jonathan Taves on board. Patrick Kane is an interesting case because the past couple of seasons have been some of his best ever, and this guy's in his early 30s. So out of the four names, Keith, Taves, Seabrook, and Kane, who gives you the most value 
in a trade is Patrick Kane every single time. So there are a lot of contenders, I think, that could use Patrick Kane. And yeah, you look at the cap, it's $10.5 million. But if you look at the actual salary, him and Taves are making around... 6.9 to like 7.5 million which is which is still a lot but there's three years left on their deals so it's a bit easier to swallow that maybe if chicago is willing to take on i don't know like 40 to 50 percent of the remaining salary maybe they can uh work out a deal with another team like again they're rebuilding rebuilding teams you look at arizona they're willing to take on bad contracts if they think they can get maximum value in a trade if they think they can get prospects or really good first round draft picks um if they can get roster players young roster players that can help their team later training guys like patrick kane will probably get you the biggest return and that's what chicago needs i think in this rebuild to like really set themselves moving forward they need to get back on track and ruling out a patrick kane trade i think would be a mistake I think they need to I think they need to be open minded on that front. Yep. Whether I don't know if it's gonna happen the year before his deal ends. It, if they really want to maximize value, maybe they do it two years before his deal ends. Uh, it all depends on what the market is like. But I do think there would be a team that would at least one team would be willing to take a chance on Patrick Kane. Yep. Just based on the way he's performed. But the Hawks really need to capitalize on his good years because you don't know how many of those good years he's got left. Yeah. So there's the there's the thought on Patrick Kane. With Duncan Keith, you're paying him not even three million for the next three years per year. And it's like not even two million for the final season. Like mm-hmm. um and and you know what? He might not be the same Duncan Keith he was ten years ago, but he can still play. I think he could be a serviceable top four guy on a Stanley Cup contender. So I think there is also a market for Duncan Keith. Not as big as Patrick Kane, but there is a market. Brent Seabrook, I smell buyout. Yep. Brent Seabrook's contract, like you're paying him like four to six million for each of the next four years. He's really been banged up the past couple of years. At times he's been healthy scratched. If this year doesn't will go out well for him, the Hawks have a couple of um like salary retentions and trades, they'll only have Oli Mata after uh, this year, and that's yeah. one year left. They don't have a buyout history at the moment. I wouldn't be surprised if they use that buyout history to get rid of Seabrook's contract. Yeah. Not, nothing against the player, but that contract is hurting them badly. Yeah, for sure. Although the thing with a buyout there is he, he's making six point uh, six million. million dollars so if you buy him out that's going to be a lot to buy out Uh, I think that's like 4 million if you buy him out uh, for 4 years so that's also not great either Um, but yeah I um, but I I guess I could see that happening Um, like you were mentioning his contract situation isn't great but anyways I see the thing is, is I'm kind of torn on on this in terms of trading Kane and Taze. Um, I don't know if, uh, maybe, I guess I can include Keith in there as well, but, um, like, I'm torn because I feel like as you were, uh, this will 
verge well into uh, the Sens and Rangers uh, that we're about to talk about. But, like, I feel like you need some veteran guys and guys who can teach the younger players how to win in this league. And those are like, you know, you can't get any better than Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, and Duncan Keith, just considering how much experience they have um, just from like, and, you know, I think all three of them are, would be great mentors to all these young guys um, who are just getting into the league. So I'm not like, I know that maybe, and it's not like a situation like Joe Thornton or I can't like, you know, or John Tavares where like the team, like they haven't won anything and they want to go a contending team to get a chance at the cup. They've already had three cups. So, so like, I don't think the incentive is there for them to want to remove the cup just because they've already won a lot. Um, I mean, not to say that they don't want to win more, but maybe like, I feel like they kind of, you know, they've been on the team for more than 10 years. Um, so I think they, they might just want to stay, um, in Chicago because this is their home. Um, and you know, I mean, obviously I think if you do trade Patrick Kane, you still have like, you know, he's still a very, very good player. He had 84 points in 70 games last year. He had 110 points last a uh, year before that. And these yep, were when the, year. yeah. And this is when the t- team stunk. <laughs> like, yep. like this is when like the team stunk. So it like, he might want to go to another team. I, I could maybe see that happening. Of the three, I could see that happening. But I feel like Taze and Keith are, like, just knowing their personalities, I feel like um, they won't want to remove their no-movement clause because they just want to be a Blackhawks for life and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that will be an interesting thing. But... Um, but yeah, on the other hand, and as I was saying on the fence, like I, I can't understand where you're coming from, where I think eventually they may want to consider doing that. But, um, and if you are rebuilding, like, I think that makes sense. But at the same time, there is like rebuilding and then there's tanking. Um, like the senators, they tanked. They traded all their good players, any player that had any value whatsoever, and traded them for prospects and picks. Whereas the Rangers, um, I know that they traded Mark Stahl, but um, and and you know they bought out Henrik Lundqvist. But when when they announced that they were rebuilding, they kept on to Chris Kreider, they kept on to Mark uh, Stahl, they kept on to Henrik Lundqvist, they kept on to a lot of the guys that they probably could have traded. Um, and, you know, they kept on to Sabinejad. They kept on to, like, a bunch of these guys that probably, like, if you're going to rebuild and actually stink, you know, then you, you might move those guys. But the, that's what the Rangers didn't do. And I think, mm-hmm. um, so that's where I think the Blackhawks are more in line with the Rangers' philosophy than the Senators, where they trade Mark Stone, they trade Eric Carlson, um, even though maybe Carlson's just unhappy, they trade Mike Hoffman, you know, they get anything that they can get out of those guys and then just build for the future. But the thing now is the Senators are just a bunch of, like, 
under 20 year olds now so yeah like like borvietsky anderson they let walk in free agency and they bought up bobby ryan yeah and like it yeah that's a good example probably the guy that um you know could probably like fall on a grenade is erica branson and he just got there right and 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 so and the other point that I want to make before I take <laughs> you, you can you can talk um, is like the like the Rangers lucked out with uh, getting Kako and then getting Lafreniere this year, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that's part of the reason why I don't really count this off season as a Rangers rebuild because I think they could contend this year, um, so. Um, and I think they're ready. Whereas the Senators, yeah, they have a lot. They have a lot of good prospect pieces now, but I'm not sure if they're necessarily there yet. So, th- I think, in terms of like, I would probably keep um, all of like you know just their veteran pieces now with Taze and Kane because they can help out just from a leadership, mentorship perspective. Um, um, even if they're not necessarily as good as they once were. Um, and, like, who knows? Maybe the Blackhawks will get the first overall pick next year or the first overall pick the year after that with Shane Wright um, in the mix. So, um, so, and then you have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze to, to teach him his ways uh, before they leave. So, um, so yeah, I, I think... I don't know. I, I, I would lean to believe that they should go the Rangers route. Obviously, that's easier said than done. But um, I, I think I would keep um, a Kane and Taze. I, I think in terms of the core, it's going to stay together for one more year. And then at that point, I'm not going to say, like, one or two of those guys gets traded the year after. I think at that point, you consider it. I don't think you consider it yet, but in the next year or two, especially when they're on the expiring year of their contracts, yep. you really take a look and say, are we better off keeping them or trading them for parts? Because the worst thing they can do is not keep them and get nothing. They yep. need to get something out of them if they're not coming back. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good point. If there is a... Like, if there's, like, a godfather offer, then, yeah, you have to take it. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. Um, And obviously... Like, like, imagine imagine losing... Imagine thinking you're going to keep Patrick Kane, and then, for whatever reason, something happens, and you don't get him back, and you lose him for nothing. Like, like... That's like the Islanders getting nothing for Jonathan Taves. Yeah. Like you could have gotten something for him, but you, you you held it you held it up to the gods, and for whatever reason, you got screwed twice. Yeah. You got nothing, and he's not on your team. Right, right, right. So, so, and I mean, like, unless Taze and Kane are actually unhappy, um, I just wouldn't trade them. Um, yeah, like th- this. This is the other thing. I don't think at this point loyalty matters. Because, like, John McDonough, the president of a hockey team, was dismissed. Yep. Right? He was dismissed, and Stan Bowman, who he supported even 
like over the past three years when things weren't going as well, he still supports Stan Bowman. How many times does the president of a hockey team get fired before the GM does? Yeah. Doesn't happen too often. And before that, Joel Quenville is dismissed. They bring in a guy that was on the 2005 Canadian World Junior Team with Crosby and Bergeron and all those guys. And Brent Seabrook is like the same age as him. So uh, we have to get going now. Um, (laughs) So where do we see this team in three to five years? I think this team is going to contend. I don't think they're going to be at the point where they get out of the first round and they're constantly a threat. But I think in three to five years they will be contending again. I don't know what the team's going to look like, but it wouldn't surprise me if in three to five years people are talking about the Blackhawks again. Yeah, I could see that. I think they'll be a contender. Like They have good pieces, like I mentioned early on in this program. You know, Kirby Doc is looking like he's going to be a legitimate player. Uh, Kubalik, um, you know, he, he showed what he can do in the playoffs. Um, Adam Bogfist, we haven't seen what he's capable, truly capable of yet. Um, and he could be, he, he's just getting started. I really like this Lucas Reichel pick that they made, and um, we'll see how that goes. Ian Mitchell could be something, too. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, Patrick Kane is still a very good player. Alex DeBrincat, he had 40 goals the year before that on a bad team. So we'll see. Um, I am a little bit concerned about their goaltending situation, which is our next question, um, Mm -hmm. because... um, So apparently they're going to... uh, Because they bought out Corey Crawford, apparently they're going to have a competition between um, Malcolm Subban... Colin Delia and uh, Kevin Lincoln for the starter role on uh, the Blackhawks. To, and, to put it into yeah. perspective quickly, Brett, their cap hit for all three boys combined is lower than Robin Leonard's and lower than Corey Crawford's. Right. Well, I mean, that's to be expected, and I, I guess that was intentional. Um, however, like, they're so, like, they could, like, the, they could have gotten in on this Goldie Carousel. Uh, that happened in the offseason. Um, like, Corey Schneider is still out there. Um, Craig Anderson's still out there. Uh, Jimmy Howard. Jimmy Howard's another one, yeah. So they could get a goalie, a veteran goalie, just to help them out for this year. But instead, they're just going to throw out, like, I mean, Malcolm Subban, he does have potential. Um, and Colin Delia, I think he was decent a couple of games that he played, but who knows? And Kevin Lankinen's even more of a wild card. Um, but all, all three of them, yeah. by the way, are AHL All Stars. Yeah. And Lankinen's GAA went from two point five to over three this year. Oh, wow. He still had a nine oh nine save percentage, and he received an invitation to the All Star game. Yeah. So, um, and like Rockford, in in the past couple of years, went to the conference finals when no one expected them to. Yeah. So Chicago is one of those teams where. They could come out of nowhere and honestly impress. And when Stan Bowman was talking to Laz and Powers on the podcast this week, he mentioned, well, look at Columbus's goalies. Yeah. You know, they didn't know what they had uh, when Bobrovsky left. There was Corpusalo who, um, yeah. you know, played as a backup but not really a solidified starter. Whereas Lincoln's hadn't even played a single NHL game. Right. And now you're looking at them. Uh, one, you can't tell which is better than the other. Both are very good goals. Yeah. The problem... Chicago is they don't have Columbus's defense, which right. is 
at least three times better than Chicago is right now. And which, I, which is, I think you need to give those young goalies a chance yeah. before going in the market and seeing what's out there. I mean, on that case, though, if you're comparing it to Columbus, I would argue that like Elvis uh, Merzilkins already had a lot of like he had a draft pedigree or not a draft pedigree, but he had like a pedigree already. We yeah. kind of knew like a lot of people already knew that he was going to be pretty good. Um, and, you know, Corpusalo, like, if you watch any of the Blue Jackets games on uh, Bobrovsky's last year there, Corpusalo, like, outplayed Bobrovsky uh, a lot of those times. So, um, so that, like, you could reasonably say that those are fine. Where it's different here where, like, you know, Corey Crawford's your main goalie. So, fine, I get why you're buying him out. But at the same time, like, you don't have anyone to replace him. Um, so maybe they are like truly just, you know, they know that they're not going to stink and see what they have with these guys. So there is some merit on that, but I don't know if I necessarily love it for the future. Cause we don't know, you know, goalies are voodoo basically like you, they, they're hardly ever consistent. Um, but I don't know, I guess. I, I feel like a lot of it just depends on, on their goaltending. And um, Drew Camesso may be good in a couple of years, but who really knows? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. See, the other thing is, too, like with Corey Crawford, like they took a gamble. Like yeah. in 2009-2010, the tandem was Antti Niemi and Cristobal Huey. Yeah. Cristobal Huey, um I, I don't think he was on the 2010-2011 roster, but Niemi got cut from Chicago, signed with San Jose for like four years or something, and they took a chance on Corey Crawford, and they got knocked out by Vancouver, but they made it to Game 7, pushed the Canucks into overtime, and were one goal away from eliminating Vancouver. Yeah. And Vancouver went to the final side year. So Chicago still, again, took a chance on Corey Crawford, turned out to be one of their best goalies in, in recent history, in recent memory at least, mm-hmm. uh, maybe all time. But, like, they've had goalies like Glenn Hall before, so they're, they're and Ed Bell for. But Corey Crawford won two Stanley Cups with the Blackhawks after 2011 happened, 2013 and 2015. Yeah. And he's, he's probably one of the most underrated goalies, but go, a goalie that can get you wins. They need to at least see what they have in Lincoln and Delia and Subin before making uh, a decision and, like, actually committing to somebody. And I think no matter how bad this year gets, they need to look at all three guys very, very carefully. Yeah, for sure. This is this is the time where you evaluate that. Yeah, I guess so. It's just, like, I, I just don't know about the consistency is what I yeah. worry about. So, like, it's, like, what, like, it's very possible that one of these goalies could be a decent goaltender, um, but, like, I, I don't know. I just worry about the consistency factor for that. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's go to hockey news and signings here. Uh, Sam Reinhart, this actually just happened as we were record- before we were recording, so um, it made it just in time. Uh, Sam Reinhart gets one year for $5.2 million. Um, this is a not bad deal for, for Sam Reinhardt. Um, I guess what the Sabres are doing, especially when they got Taylor Hall, is like, you know, they're trying to compete for maybe one year and see what they have. And then if it 
fails, they, you know, they make some moves and stuff. But if it doesn't fail, then maybe they sign, you know, Reinhardt and Hall for long term. But like, this is kind of like a trial thing. Um, the interesting thing about Sam Reinhardt is he's going to be an RFA next year as well. So, um, so that's another situation to keep track of as well. I think Sam Reinhardt will probably be in the top six line. Um, and, uh, you know, he has definite potential. Um, and we'll see how it goes from there. Yeah, um, I, I definitely think that's what it is. A good trial run. I yep. think the price tag is right. If it's a good fit, then maybe they commit to him long term. He's going to be 25, by the way, after yep. this deal ends. And you become a UFA when you're 27. Yep. That's the earliest you can become a UFA. So they still have club control for at least another two years after this deal ends. Yep. Um, and you have Eric Stahl and, like you said, Taylor Hall in, in the mix. So it, it's a good chance to kind of evaluate what your team has. And maybe Sam Reinhardt is the guy that you trade for more help on defense or help uh, in between the pipes, perhaps. Yep. Because there's no doubt the offensive potential is there. Like, he's a four-time 20-goal scorer, averages like two to three minutes of power play time, is a guy that is like a guy that can average like 18, 19, 20 minutes per game overall. Yeah. Um, there there have been questions at times with like his defensive play, but I someone was mentioning on um, Sirius XM, the NHL Network, Neil 91, that, you know, like 80 to like 85% of the league is like offensively driven. Like how many of those guys – like are really, really, really focused on the defensive game. Like yeah. not too many. True. But they're primarily offensive guys. So, and I believe it was Nick Alberga who who mentioned that, and he was talking about Mike Hoffman and how he's still available. And Mike Hoffman isn't necessarily the best defensive player, and I would think Sam Reinhardt in that category, but he can still provide offense. Yeah. And if he doesn't help your team, he can maybe help your team in other ways get what they need. Mm -hmm. So this is a good way of evaluating what they have in Sam Reinhardt. So, yeah, I like the term. I like the dollars. And it could work out for the Sabres. It might not. But it's a good chance to, again, see what they have moving forward. And then they make the decision from there. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Um, I know this wasn't on our lineup, Steve, but I'm going to mention it anyways. Uh, jo uh, Josh Levo, Dominic Simone. Uh, both signed with Calgary this week as well. I, I just wanted to mention that because it was a good, because um, they both were uh, signed um, for one year under a million dollars. And these guys were actually decent in a, in a depth role um, on their two teams. So this could be the steal of the offseason um, if they pan out. Um, mm -hmm. They also got to Nikita Nestroff, uh, who yeah. spent the past three years in the KHL, depth defensive signing, yeah, really like that as well. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Calgary's done great with their depth signings, but yep. the more of those they make, it makes me wonder that, uh, yeah, Travis Hamnick's probably gone um, probably, as a free yeah. agent. I don't think they can keep him now with the, the money they spent on the depth guys. So Yeah, for sure. Uh, Connor Brown, um, who uh, he gets – this is probably the only biggest – I guess technically the biggest uh, signing here, just because it was, uh, um, sorry, I had it here. It was a three-year deal for $3.6 uh, per year for the Senators, again. 
Um, I don't hate this deal. I know that you probably have more on this than I do. Um, but yeah, he had a uh, 43 points on 71 in 71 games. He kind of showed that uh, he belongs in the NHL, and um, it's a good deal. Um, if it could like by the end of this, it could, you know, he could be undervalued um, at the end of this. So um, yeah, I like this move. Yeah, so in his first seven NHL games, uh, Brown had six points when the Leafs were struggling pretty mightily in 2015-16. Mm-hmm. And in his rookie campaign, when the Leafs started to get good again, he averaged 16 minutes and 12 seconds of ice time per game, scored 20 goals, 36 points in 82 games, 139 shots recorded, only got 74 seconds of power play time per game. So a respectable rookie season in that department. In his first seven NHL contests, he averaged over three minutes per game on the power play. Um, so he was considered more of a defensive specialist at the time, I guess. Then Brown gets a combined 22 goals, 203 shots, and 57 points over the next 163 games with the blue and white. He averaged 1503 uh, of total ice time in year two, went down to 1348 in his final year, didn't even get 30 seconds of power play time in his final year with Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, seen as more of a guy that plays on the defensive side. This yep. past season, he gets top line minutes in Ottawa. He averages over 20 minutes per game. And look at the offense. 16 points assists on a 50-point pace if he plays a full 82 games. He plays 71 games, gets 43 points, 173 shots on goal, career high, around a minute 40 of power play time every night, only a minus six. Considering how bad Ottawa was, minus six is pretty good. The big, big thing about Connor Brown is he kills penalties. Yep. There are only two forwards in the NHL this year who played more minutes on the penalty kill. One was Travis Zajac of the New Jersey Devils. The other was Anthony Sorelli of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Brown sat third with 185 minutes and seven seconds on the penalty kill, third amongst forwards league-wide. And you look at his years with the Leafs, in terms of total penalty kill minutes played, he sat 27th in the league amongst forwards as a rookie, 41st the season after, 26th in his final year with the Leafs, where his offensive numbers were low, his ice time was low. He still finished 26th amongst NHL forwards in penalty killing minutes played. And he finished third this year. Excellent term, excellent dollars. I would be okay with a five-year deal, but I can understand why Ottawa did it because if you're going to be drafting and developing more and more of these talented, skilled forwards, probably one or two, maybe not Connor Brown down the lineup. Yeah. So you don't know in three years where your fit is for Connor Brown on the team. So I can understand why they did the three-year deal, but I really, really like the fact that they kept him around. Uh, one of those guys that can kill penalties, veteran presence. The Sens need both of those very badly, and he fits all the criteria. Also, he gets $2.8 million this year, $4 million in year two, $4 million in year three. Again, they're focusing more on the salary cap after Seattle picks its team because they don't want to make it easier for Seattle to take one of their players. They want to make sure they protect as much of their young players as they can while making Seattle think twice about, oh, uh, this player has X amount of dollars committed for the next two years. 
is he really worth taking or do we have better options? Yeah. And we've, we've seen that in the other um, signings that we're going to be talking about as, as well. Other teams seem to have the same mindset on that as well. So right. something to worth keep in mind as we uh, continue to see players getting signed this offseason. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of which, uh, Denny Darianoff and Jake Vernon actually get the same amount um, one year, um, actually, my computer, computer just froze. Um, how much is it one year and... Okay, so I got the deets right here. Okay. So Denis Gurianov, uh, two years, 5.1 million, 2.55 million average right. annual value. The exact same term, dollars and AAV for Vertanen as well. Yep. However, the year-by-year breakdown is a bit different. Gurianov, he gets 2.2 million oh, this geez. coming season. In his second year, he gets $2.9 million. For Jake Vertanen, $1.7 million this year, and then $3.4 million in the final year of his deal. Remember I said about the Seattle thing? Yeah. It appears that uh, Jim Benning um, seems to be uh, picking up what Dorian's putting down or whoever else, and um, he's, um, he's uh, kind of making it a bit difficult for Seattle to, to take on contracts with that second year. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting signings there. Well, I mean, I don't think it's just Seattle, because I think it's also because there's a flat cap right now, so a lot of teams are just just want to give short-term deals, um, which is, like, a good team and what teams should be doing. Um, I'm generally not a, in favor of teams that dole out long-term deals, so um, it makes sense for that. And, you know, the thing with Gary Anoff and Vernon in as well is that like, you know, Gary Anoff was their, let's take Gary Anoff for example. Uh, Gary Anoff, he had 20 goals uh, this regular season, um, and he was the best uh, goal scorer for the Dallas Stars. However, he only had like thir- 14 minutes of ice time. Um, so Yeah, and like uh, only yeah. 132 shots as well. Something like that, yeah. So um, I think it's kind of cool to have like a bridge deal of sorts for that and see what he's actually capable of, but... Like, I feel like eventually he's going to have to go, get into the top six um, and and show what he can do. I guess it's partially because they're not sure about his defense, but um, I feel like if a guy can score, a guy can score. And, like, <laughs> there's not, um, you know, so that, like, if, if you're going to be one-dimensional, it would be to be a goal scorer. Um, so I, I, I like that move for them, too, because it could pay dividend for them in the... Uh, near future yeah like if you yeah. look at like if you look at his line mates uh it was rupe heinz yep. joe pavelski and Corey perry throughout the regular season those are the guys that he's most commonly uh spending ice time with yep. perry and pavelski great nhlers historically not nearly as good as they were like five six seven years ago and rupe hints is a current rfa that has potential but like Gurianov. Uh, hasn't really fully displayed what he's capable of yet. Yeah. Um, so I think this is definitely a good short-term gamble that the Stars uh, can afford to make. And you look at Dennis Gurianov's shot, it's becoming tougher and tougher to stop. And you saw it in the playoffs. Nine goals, eight assists for a total of 17 points in 27 games. Yep. His ice time rose by like a full minute. That's it. So he still hasn't really established top-line minutes yet. Yeah, no, that's a good point. 
All right, uh, that about does it for us. Um, our, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify if you aren't already. Uh, please subscribe to us and follow us there. Um, our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 243 of the Lace Them Up Podcast. <laughs>